Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Colin Lameau. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Today, we are going to be continuing our currently two-part series about person-to-person dynamics, this time focusing on player-to-player conflict. But before we get into it, Colin, you and I both had an opportunity to see a very interesting movie this week. And uh, without getting too much into spoilers, how did you like Black Panther? I really enjoyed it. I I think as I mentioned to you earlier, um, I had a couple of concerns involving um, sort of how some of the plot resolved itself and um, a little bit of the planning that went into it uh, from some of the characters' point of view. But ultimately, it was all pretty forgivable in the wake of what I thought was a, a pretty excellent movie. Some very good characters. Oh, absolutely. I think in terms of like, the actual people involved, like, characters seemed more human this time around than they often do Mm. in the Marvel movies. Like, Iron Man has always had some good people in it, but then you get into stuff like Thor, where you're dealing with Asgardians, and it's all very heightened and Shakespearean and strange, even though I think Thor Ragnarok is probably my favorite Marvel movie at this point. Yeah, I completely understand. They really had to find kind of where Thor would fit in terms of genre. And I think gearing it a little more towards comedy uh, was the better option for them. Absolutely. But like when it comes to Black Panther, I feel like they were pretty much firing on all cylinders. Like it was first off just a beautiful movie. Like, the visuals in terms of set design and costuming and everything were just incredible. Some really beautiful colors. Um, oh, yeah. It was a, a very evocative movie, very eye-catching. And uh, especially uh, in terms of where Marvel has been um, in creating their movies, they've they've sometimes struggled with tone. I think. And uh, as they've gone on, they've gotten better at setting the correct tone for the correct character. Uh, The the real trial, um, the proving ground will be when they all come together again in the next Avengers movie, how they're going to mix the tone of Thor Ragnarok with, say, you know, Captain America 2 and um, Black Panther, which are considerably a little little darker, a little less comedic, I'd say, than Thor Ragnarok. Uh, oh yeah presented itself i mean black panther definitely had its moments of levity like there were numerous moments where i laughed out loud in the theater but like thor was thor was a comedy it was an action Mm. comedy and black panther was a serious action movie with some comic relief so it will be interesting when infinity war comes out to see how that goes agreed but let's go ahead and move into our main topic for today is speaking of tonal shifts uh we can actually play that into player by player dynamic now this is something that you will have more experience with than i because i have not been a player in very many games for uh some years now since mostly i've been running things so uh, i'd like to start things off with you uh because i believe that you might have um a more relevant viewpoint and then we can delve back into my bygone twilight years and um also sort of figure out uh what i what i perceive uh, as yes. a dm on player to player dynamics but uh, and, like that is definitely going to be a very valuable point of input because that's the pincer attack of this topic we need to mm. come at it from both being a player and dealing with somebody else at the table coming at you or right. you wanting to come at somebody else. And as a DM, how do you, if that's happening right in front of you, how do you steer that in a good direction? And All valid questions. But first, let's begin with you and what sure. you consider to be the player to player dynamic that is the heart of the discussion that we are having. So when it gets right down to it, one of the most unsettling things for me to see happening at the table, 
And this is all very dependent on system because different systems encourage player-to-player conflict in different ways, and some are not built for it at all. Like, Mm. when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons or Pathfinder or your more traditional D20 systems, the mechanics are all there for two characters to fight. Fair. The stories don't typically lend themselves to that. Like, if you are running a module that has been pre-built, let's just use the Curse of Strahd as an example, because I think it's probably one that almost everybody is at least name-familiar with, if you are familiar with Dungeons & Dragons as a whole. Sure. So, Curse of Strahd, if you don't know what it is, is a situation or a module in which a group of players find themselves in Barovia, which is a country-ish that is controlled by a vampire called Strahd. Is, and, is the I, I have to I have to stop you there. Is the, is yeah. the pronunciation uh, that deep? Well, how do you how do you determine it? I I have started in Curse of Strahd multiple times, and I've only continued after sessions zero and one once and literally every time i play this module i can't hear the name barovia without thinking of it like Ah, either ah. in a very deep voice or in song because the other way that i say it is barovia and i figured that probably wouldn't play super well if i did that every time (laughs) i'm gonna have to ask if there are any other um D&D or fantasy related names that you feel you either have to change your complete inflection on or do in song at a later time? Uh, I will give you the short answer right now. I can't think of any others off the top of my head, but I will get back to you on that. Please do. And back to our listeners on that, because I think we're all very interested in the way that you say weird stuff like that. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff that I say in general, so that shouldn't be too hard to come up with. (laughs) All right, continue onward. Yeah, so the whole point of the Curse of Strahd is that as a group, you have to defeat Strahd so that you can leave the country. Because part of the curse is you can't escape once you're there because vampire magic. So, like, it's a very dark and twisty little campaign that is meant to have players working together. Okay. As most D&D uh, modules would, would exactly. indeed have. It's kind of archetypal for the entire genre of games. Like, we want to be cooperative. It's the way that you and I constantly talk about the storytelling aspect of it. It's telling a story together. But occasionally, part of that story might have your characters as players disagreeing on things. Hmm. Now, a simple disagreement is not necessarily the type of conflict that we're talking about. And I will give an example from a game that I have been playing in, rather than a game that I have run. Uh, There was a pair of players who have very different styles of play. One is very high drama and likes to get embroiled in the nitty gritty of like, what is my character feeling? And all of the combat stuff doesn't really matter too much to them. It's kind of just a means to an end. Sure. Whereas the other player still very much enjoys the um, the story aspect of it, but tends to play characters who are a bit more on the outside of things, likes to sort of nudge the story along from the sidelines. So these two come across a, uh, a nest of owl bears. Okay. And after a fight with owl bear mama and that ending in owl bear mama's death, they find one remaining living owl bear baby. Oh, now In retrospect, after talking with the DM who was running this game, Owlbear Baby was meant to be sort of like a little party mascot, like an animal companion sort for the ranger who was being played by the high drama player. Okay. Said ranger had backstory reasons for thinking that anything like that 
that you could potentially classify as a monster was an abomination that needed to be killed on sight. Seems like an oversight on the DM's part. Yeah, a little bit. Now, of course, this leads the player to say, well, I'm gonna kill the baby. And the other player involved, because they were the only two in the room at the time, is much more of like, the character that they were playing is more of an animal lover and would have definitely been the one taking care of the owl bear baby if the ranger didn't take it. Mm -hmm. uh, this character also adopted a giant beetle that is currently being kept in a jar as it is a baby giant beetle, uh, but it's constantly <clears throat> growing and its name is Beetle and I love it and it's delightful. <laughs> now okay. that said, as these two get into this discussion of like, are we going to kill it or not? How are we going to go about this? That essentially was resolved by the monk saying to the ranger, okay, we'll kill it, but I'm not letting you do it. And she steps into the nest and basically cradles this baby owlbear in her arms and then very quickly ends its life. And that was a really deep and interesting character moment between those two characters. And I think both of the players in that situation definitely walked away from that feeling like it was a very good role-playing moment. However, okay. one of the other people at the table was made incredibly uncomfortable by that whole exchange, and then later on used what was essentially out-of-character knowledge to basically align themselves against the ranger. And that led to an actual, like, person-to-person -person argument afterward, which devolved into some things that probably should not have been said and didn't really go well for anyone. And I, being the person that I am, or hopefully the person that I was at the time and no longer am, uh. kind of just sat there dumbfounded, not knowing what to do. Hmm. As I essentially watched my friends argue about the made-up thing that we just pretended at. It's not a good feeling sitting there and seeing the other people at the table get into an actual argument over make-believe. Over anything, really, because, like... They could have been talking about any number of topics and had just as heated a discussion, and nine times out of ten, it would have been completely overblown and unnecessary. That's sure. kind of just the way that arguments work. <laughs> Fair. But when it was all stemming from a character-to-character -character interaction, it made me feel like there should have been something that we could have done to alleviate that. And unfortunately, as I go into this, a lot of it is case by case. So when it comes down to it, we're not going to be able to give you, dear listener, a single answer on how to solve conflicts between your players. But what I'm hoping to impart is a little bit of a uh, tool set, as it were, so that when you see these things brewing, you can help to simmer it rather than let it boil over right although i'm gonna i'm gonna have to walk us back a little bit to sure um where the argument actually began because you, you described the circumstances around what sort of placed the argument but not how the argument uh actually came to be uh if you want to summarize it real quick what was it that the player used specifically in the out-of-character context of that event uh, to align themselves against this ranger. Why was that such a point of contention to the other player? Because if that's where the argument began, if that's the stress point on which it turns, it's not necessarily how that scene resolved itself between the two players in the scene. That seemed to happen just fine, but it was what the other person thought about the resolution of that scene. That's where the crux of the argument is, and that's what we don't have the information on. Would you be willing to give us a little bit of background on that? 
I can give a <clears throat> bit. I don't want to get too much into specifics on exactly what went down because that's a, it's a little bit of talking out of school. Um, but what it essentially boiled down to, as far as I could tell from the character perspective, was it gave an excuse for people who were already at sort of a rocky point in their friendship to ostracize a character as a proxy to ostracizing a player. Uh, and what that basically became was when one person's character found out about what happened, it was treated as this evil, abominable action that was completely unforgivable and deserved punishment in some way. Which, hmm. to me, was a bit of an overreaction to the situation, but it was very informed by things that were happening away from the table instead of things that were actually happening in the game. Okay. So there is a sense of um, external factors that also come into play at the table. It's not just the pressure that a role-playing situation could put on a group of players, but also what events are transpiring in their lives and what their relationship is like outside of the table, uh, which can sort of give kind of a kind of a, like a passion play um, proxy to to that argument within the game itself exactly exactly and unfortunately <clears throat> what that means is if you want to try to be the person who is making these situations as unimpactful in real life as possible you have to be the person who's keeping abreast of the situations between your players between your friends and in lieu of being really nosy and getting into everybody's business, this basically means you have to be the empathetic ear to make sure that whatever is happening away from the game isn't playing itself out on game night. So you would say that it is the DM architect, storyteller's responsibility to kind of have an an overarching understanding of the psychological positions that their players are in? I would say that helps, but it's not necessarily up to the storyteller. It's not the person at the head of the table's responsibility to keep in mind every little argument that's happening between their players away from the game. It's up to everyone. And this is really something where, like, the whole philosophy of it takes a village comes into play because no one person is going to be able to solve everybody's problems, nor should they try. What I'm trying to really get at is anybody at the table who is observing these sorts of situations should have at least one tool in their belt that they can use to help mitigate the problem. And occasionally, if you are in the situation that I was in where you are the player, Maybe that is speaking up out of character and saying this situation seems like it's getting a little off the rails. Can we resolve it as quickly and as easily as possible? Maybe it's taking somebody aside at some point and saying, hey, is everything all right? What's going on? Because this doesn't seem to be about the game anymore. Uh, and now if it's getting to the point where two players are having such a character-to-character -character conflict that they feel like they have to fight it out in-game. This is uncharacteristic for me, but sometimes that might be the best course of action. It's not going to help the story almost ever. I would go on to say that it is... Um... It is also a player's responsibility to understand the position in which they are coming to the table in. If you're having a really rough day, like a real hard day, and you're coming to the table already pre-frustrated, pre-angry, pre-exhausted, uh, it, it could possibly help if you said, hey, everybody, I'm not feeling super positive about things right now. I'd like to try to cycle out of it before we begin Either you could you could talk about it or you could message the entire group and ask if you could have a little bit of time before you show up at the session, a buffer 
uh, to get yourself into a better frame of mind. Or sometimes if it's if it's rough enough, the the answer might honestly be to just ask to forego the session. Uh, now, the sooner you can tell your players and the other people that are coming to presumably one location or getting online and putting their time aside, the sooner the better so they can plan other things. But, you know, better to forego a session when you're not in the right mind to actually do it than to play in a session where something regrettable happens that then will shadow the entirety of the campaign going forward for every session thereafter. Absolutely. And I will say this, a lot of people use gaming of pretty much every variety as therapy. Mm -hmm. Games are therapeutic a lot of the time. They can be a very escapist and empowering and fun experience. But when you are sitting down with other people at a table to play your nerd games... That is not the time when you should be airing out your grievances with other people or working through your problems at work. That's not really what we're here for. If that's a, if that's a thing that you need, then make sure that the other people at the table are prepared. And honestly, like, it's a big, fun, crazy world out there there is a probably pretty high chance that you could find some people, probably online, who might want exactly the same sort of play that you do where you're working through stuff in a fantasy land. Sure. As opposed to in real life. There's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> but everybody has to be there and on the same page. A lot of conflicts especially ones that I see happening between players, happen because one person is in one mindset and the other person is in a different one. And I'd I like that, to... Go ahead, continue. I think that goes for conflict in general. Like When it comes right down to it, most of the things that we argue about in any circumstance are because of misunderstandings and different mindsets. Sure. Oh, I, I'd like to bring some attention a little bit to what I would like to consider group mindset. Um, how your individual attitude affects the attitude of the entirety of the group. I have a DM friend who uh, has been playing with the same group for much longer than I've been playing with my group, like since high school, and he's pushing towards 40, so he's had these people for years and years and years and years. And... <clears throat> Lately, the last few years, uh, last like five years that I've known him, his complaint is that always his games have started to, you know, they, they don't, they don't really, they don't really finish. People lose, uh, people lose interest. They complain, they whine, they, they gripe at the, they gripe at the table. They have real harsh things to say and they don't seem invested. And it's been a problem that's been happening for a while. And, um, He's not really motivated to to drop them because they're still his close friends, but obviously something has shifted in the group. And he mentioned that this same group of people with a different DM, not him um, as the DM, run another game in which none of those problems seem to be happening. And so I, you know, he was blaming himself as, as you know, his fault as a DM. And based on the stories and things that he came up with and based on my experience and some of the side games that he'd run that I'd been in, I didn't think that was exactly the case. So in pressing forward and asking, there was one specific player in his group that is the loudest of the complainers uh, and always does it at every session. And um, what, what I think I stumbled on was the fact that when he is a player in the game rather than a DM, he is a party encourager. Uh, you know, he celebrates the story. He gets excited about other people's time. He cheers on other roles. And that is not something that anyone else in his game is doing. And it sort of led me to a, you know, a mode of thought, a philosophy that I think is very important, uh, which is your individual mindset affects the entirety of the table. If you walk into a game and you're like, well, I might be in a bad mood, but that's okay. 
I, you know, I, I might be a little tuned out for, for this session, but it isn't a big deal. There are at least three or four other players. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that your attitude sort of gets mixed into the congealed concoction that is each individual session. Oh, and that can sour the mix. Even one bad attitude of somebody sitting at the table can cause everybody else's anxieties, um, their their pet peeves, their annoyances to exaggerate themselves. And all of a sudden, it's not necessarily just having a good time anymore, but it's sort of festering and it becomes worse and worse and worse from, from game to game. So uh, as a player, you need to decide what your role is going to be within the group. Yes, it is the DM's job to engage you. And if the DM is not running an engaging storyline, then that is a conversation you absolutely need to have. But if they're doing their best and they're running a pretty engaging storyline and you're just being a stick in the mud about the system, you don't like the system, you don't you don't like how you don't roll well enough, sideline some of your feelings and consider how they might affect everybody else. Yes, you can have a run of bad luck. It's dice rolling. Sometimes that just happens. It's how you react to these setbacks that really kind of make or break a campaign and and more specifically uh, an individual session so uh, my advice to him was to find a player in his group uh that is the the least likely to complain and the most likely to be engaged in a storyline and so talk to that person about being more of a um of a player advocate of directing group excitement of keeping people's focus on the table of of drawing things in because the more that people complain about what's going on the more other people find a reason to complain about their situation as well and then all of a sudden it isn't a game of collaboration anymore it's everybody having a problem with how things have gone maybe that obstacle seemed too tough now in retrospect maybe you aren't winning enough and it can devolve from there into a really stressful place for a dm especially in my position as somebody who runs games most of the time a dm doesn't have a game without players I mean, we of could course. just we could just sit there and roll dice ourselves but what's the point and well, the I mean, players a game without go. players is basically writing a book mm. but that's an entirely different exercise Right. Uh, you take away the random chance of it. And, you know, the players are such an important part of the tabletop dynamic. Any of the players could be the DM, theoretically. But without it, but, you know, but without a group of players, there is no one to run the actual session. So, the contract, the social contract between a, a GM and a group of players is two ways. The DM, it's a responsibility to be organized in a certain sense, to be ready to run the session, to be responsive to player complaints, and to shift the storyline in order to accommodate people's either hard nose on elements they don't want in the game itself, or to make sure that everybody gets a chance for the spotlight or to do the things that they wanted to do in the course of the game. It's the player's responsibility to help maintain the atmosphere. The DM can give you suggestions on what the atmosphere is going to be, but it is your choice as a player whether you invest in that atmosphere and build it for your other players. If everyone else is talking in character and you say, my character says or my character does, rather than being more of a active storyteller, then you're sort of drawing focus away from what everyone else is trying to evoke or bring in. You have to decide whether that is something that's taking away from the enjoyment of the session itself or whether that's something that you can even change uh, about your involvement. Uh, a lot of a lot of how-tos that I've seen on YouTube and around are, are how to be a better DM, how it's a how it's a DM's responsibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I would argue that a player also holds an incredibly important role within the story to continue to help the storyteller keep it engaging. Without, Absolutely. Yeah. Without paying into it, 
you can't be surprised if it eventually loses steam. If it's only one person, the DM putting in all of their excitement and passion and the response or the reception is lukewarm, you can't expect them to maintain that same level of passion, creativity, and excitement. Quality of the game may start to fall if you know the DM doesn't perceive that anyone is appreciating the efforts that they put in. So as a player, you have to let them know that that's being appreciated. You have to be part of it, part of the story. That gets at an idea that I refer to as buy-in, which normally we like to think of as your suspension of disbelief for the setting or your willingness to jump into the mechanics. Like, buy-in refers to a lot of things, but beyond your intellectual or your mechanical buy-in, there is also the emotional Mm buy-in, where you have to set aside your own outside issues with whatever is going on and that's not to say your problems don't matter when you walk into my room and play at my table i would never say that in any way but there is a certain amount of empathy that we already experience even without knowing it where if somebody walks in it's like you mentioned and they have had a bad day so they're just kind of mopey everybody else is going to feel that mopiness even on a subconscious level you're going to see it and it's going to affect the game Mm -hmm. so when you step in and you are saying i am here to be a part of this game and to tell this story what you are also saying in that moment is i am here to support the telling of this story with these people who i at least hopefully enjoy spending time in a room with Absolutely. I would also say, uh, and and this is difficult even for me to do, is um, it sucks when you fail at a task when the dice oh, yeah. turn against you. It it's oh it's a terrible feeling. You you aim up, you gear up for throwing the spear into the big bat. It's everything is is on this moment. You roll the natural one. You mess it up. Suddenly you're outside of the suddenly you're outside of the action, you get upset, it kind of putrefies the experience. I, I would I would say to players to look at in-character failure not as an indictment on your ability to get things done, but as a an unexpected turning point in the narrative. Rather than looking at your failure as, how could I have messed this up? How could the dice have turned against me? My character would have never missed that shot. Take a moment, step back, and ask yourself, okay, what does this failure mean exactly? Sure. It doesn't have to, if you, if you miss your target, Let's say in a like in a D and D set, you don't hit the armor class. That doesn't necessarily have to mean that you don't actually hit your target. It just means that no damage was done. So maybe you talk to the DM. You're like, well, I don't think I would have missed that shot, but I am okay if it turns out that his armor was way better than we thought. The spear lodges itself in the armor, but doesn't seem to do any damage. That way, you don't really feel like it was your failure for not hitting the person. You definitely did. You just didn't you hit them in the exact right place for them to block it yeah and i think a big part of that lays on the shoulders of the dm or the storyteller to make it so that a dice based failure is not a player based failure you know when you get that no successes on that shot at the vampire's head it's because you know the vampire was faster than you expected and they juked it Like, maybe it's like, oh, but I was behind him. He shouldn't have seen me. Well, yeah, he's just that good. He's a fucking vampire. Or when you go for the big smite with your paladin and you're facing down the evil demon and even with all of the buffs that you should be able to get, you still don't quite hit that mechanical number. That's exactly like you were saying. Well, the demon grabbed the hilt of your sword and pushed your hand away like failures are an opportunity for a dramatic moment now something that i did see in a recent game that i was running not playing in was 
one player who did have numerous lackluster roles and was starting to get frustrated with himself, and then one of the other players was kind of poking fun at that. Thankfully, the player who was experiencing the rough roles was experienced enough and just a generally decent enough person to laugh it off and not let it affect him. But I have seen situations in which a player will poke fun at another player for something that is really out of their control that leads to somebody feeling a bit dejected or somebody getting a little frustrated or upset. And these are some of the situations that are tricky to deal with because there's nothing as a DM that you can do to stop and say like, ah, here is the story reason or the in-universe reason why you shouldn't do that. Because they're speaking out of character and it's... I mean, even if they're speaking in character, it is sort of an out-of-character moment regardless, because it's not like, you know, Tony the computer hacker knows why Jethro the soldier missed that shot. All Tony sees is that the shot was missed. They don't have the mechanical understanding in-universe as to why. I would also invite players uh, and storytellers to look at failure not as a black and white result, but as an opportunity for another player to turn a missed attack into an advantage. In We'll go back to the example of um, the person throwing the spear into the big baddie and gets stuck in the armor. I did notice that you very specifically said it gets lodged in the armor, and that my thought with that was immediately, oh, a player is going to take advantage of that every time, if that's what you say. Exactly. Well, you can turn a player failure into an opportunity for an assist, and in that way, that does not become a failure, it becomes a setup for a success. And that player who failed the shot before, and then sees another one of their teammates pivot the spear in such a way that it damages the armor and drops the villain's AC class, possibly a point or two. That failure that they threw before was not one at all. It, it becomes retroactively a success. And this doesn't have to apply to everything that uh, that a player does. You don't have to turn every failure into an opportunity for success, but it is important to turn some failures into opportunities for success because then it changes the dialogue from the binary of you succeeded or you failed into a you failed but mm -hmm. and the you succeeded and. Well, and this is something that the numbers on the dice can actually really help you with. Because when it comes down to something like, well, you rolled a one by the rules, that's a dramatic failure, and that has to harm you in some manner. By that same idea, if you needed a 15 on the die and you rolled a 14, that's pretty damn close. And if you are the DM in that situation, take the opportunity to play with that. I think those are the great moments where if somebody gets close, you can absolutely twist that to mean whatever you want it to mean. And, you know, maybe you didn't sunder their shield and break it off of their arm, but maybe you knocked it away so that, sure, for the next attack, armor class is two points lower. There are a thousand things that you can do at any moment to help make people feel better about what they're doing. And that's kind of the the point. That is um, the sign of a more experienced storyteller, is knowing when those opportunities present themselves and knowing at what point you can lay the rules aside and say, you know, right now, for the story, these rules aren't really helping me. Mm -hmm. In order to tell the story that I want to tell, that we at the table want to tell, we're going to have to bend these in a certain way. The rules are there to provide you a framework by which a world works, by which mechanics come together. But 
a good storyteller and a good group and, and a good group of players know that you can set those aside if it is necessary for what you're doing in the story to set those aside. And you can't be afraid of doing that. You can step away from the rules when you need to if it is to the benefit of the group and the people that are experiencing it and playing. Some of the best scenes don't necessarily involve a hard line to the rules themselves, but rather an open interpretation of how narrative can trump internal mechanic construct, at least in my opinion. Well, and that also gets back to a little bit of what we started talking about, where it's like, the rules are there, Sure. And not everything that you do while you're sitting at the table requires any rules at all. If two characters are having a conversation, you don't need to roll any dice about that. Now, occasionally you might get into a situation where it's like, well, I'm trying to persuade you to do something, but maybe I, as a player, am not as charismatic as my bard that I'm playing. So... In order to make the mechanics of the character creation work, maybe I'll ask the DM, hey, can I roll on this instead of trying to play it out with actual talky-speaky words? Because me talky no good. <laughs> but not I, every right. time. I'll also, I'll also say this. It is... I think natural for players to want to feel competent when they are playing their character. Everybody wants to feel super cool and super confident like the main character of a story, but also sometimes take a look at success and failure as opportunities to pass the torch to another player at the table. If you fail, that can be a dramatic moment for someone else to succeed in such a way as to strengthen your in-character relationship with them. Failure, vulnerability, is an important necessity to building stronger relationships. The more vulnerable you are and where people can come in and support you, the stronger those relationships tend to be. So you can let yourself be okay with failing if another player will step in to take up that mantle and help bring you back to a place where you can repay them at another point in time. Well, and you said something else there that was very interesting to me. Like, first off, I absolutely agree with everything you just said, <laughs> but I want to jump on something that came early in that statement. Sure. Everybody wants to feel like the main character. Hmm. Most of the time, if there is more than one other person sitting around the table with you, there isn't a main character. And some people, because of the way that our brains work and because of the way stories are told, their characters might get a little more focused than the others. If you have a particular type of DM, some characters might seem to get all of the focus over the others, but at the end of the day, there shouldn't be a singular main character. And this is something that can lead to player-to-player -to -player conflict as someone gets resentful or gets jealous or gets hurt that another character is getting more attention than theirs at seemingly every turn. And that's something that the players need to be vocal about asking for their moments or allowing others to have their own it's also something that, as a DM, you need to be focused on making sure that everybody has their time to shine. Absolutely. Because it's like you said, we all want to feel special. Even if you're going in to play purely simulationist and you know, like, I am the support character. I am the one who is standing on the sidelines and throwing out healing spells and that's my thing. But man, when that moment comes where... Your barbarian is going down, and they need that heal, and you throw out that spell, and you roll for max healing on that, and then they get back up and they fight. That's your victory as much as it is theirs, and it feels damn good. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, I think more players uh, these days sort of need to accept that 
failure is going to come with the game and how you deal with failure makes or breaks a narrative experience for everybody else because you're not the only one at the table yeah. and you're not the only one telling the story and if there wasn't failure then there wouldn't be stakes if there wasn't tenacity if there wasn't defeat then victory wouldn't have as strong of a meaning so embrace that embrace the failures and turn them into part of the epic tale that you're weaving this is a very zen episode <laughs> i like that i like that that's every now and then we need to get into kind of the zen yeah. mindset i do want to end on a note of kind of more like a like a call to action like what can you actually do if you are seeing a conflict between players starting to embroil itself go ahead call to action away so the basic thing that we've mostly been talking about is the simple order of just have empathy but a lot of people myself included don't necessarily find that that comes incredibly naturally. It's part of the reason that a lot of people who are a little bit socially awkward find themselves drawn to games like this. It gives you a framework in which to socialize. So let me break it down for you in the way that works for me. Break it down. If you're seeing a situation that starts to get un uncomfortable as an observer, it is never a bad thing to pipe up with just a nice little, hey, what are we feeling right now? Which can be a very awkward thing to ask. And Especially if you very... phrase it that way. Well, yeah, you might want to watch your tone on that so it's not, hey, what are we feeling right now? Yeah, please you know I mean? don't do that tone. Yeah, no, that probably won't go over super well unless you're playing a very particular type of role-playing game, in which case, um, send me an invite. Oh, boy. <laughs> but if you just get an opportunity to get people acknowledging that what is going on in character might not necessarily be uninfluenced by what is going on out of character, that can help steer things away from the breaking point. And if it's not a situation where, hey, uh, I got fired last week, so I'm taking out my frustration on the other characters, and it's legitimately a thing of like, no, this is what Grapthor the Hammer would actually do in this situation. I'm going to have to fight Chauncey the Paladin. Well, you can be there as an influence to make sure that Gropthor and Chauncey's fight isn't fatal. You can be there to make sure that there is some coming back from that precipice that doesn't mean, well, somebody's involvement in this has to end. And the way that I would suggest going about that is, honestly, make it a small thing. This won't work in every situation, obviously. But if you've got two characters who are about to go at each other's throats, if you're really sort of chaotic influence in the party, or if you have a line to the person who is, throw down money on it. Hey, I bet you 10 gold Gropthor can knock out Chauncey. Because then it becomes a game instead of an argument. And there are ways to do this in pretty much any scenario if you can gamify the problem you can bring everybody back to the idea that oh we are actually just playing a game and i will say this i am not an expert on relationships or psychology or even fucking person to person dynamics we say it in the intro we are not experts we just talk about stuff that we've seen and stuff that we've done that has worked for us but, you know, maybe give it a shot. That's all I got. And on that note, that's about all that we have time for in this episode. Um, once again, this is Dodecahedron. If you want to hear more about us, feel free to go back and listen to all of our archives of 
wonderful episodes and yes, just we're on itunes and google play now uh the next step is to get us on spotify but i have literally no Ooh. idea how to do that yet so i'm working on it email you can email us if you have questions or ideas for topics or if you know how to get us on spotify at dodecapodcast at gmail.com once again, that email address is dodeca, D-O-D-E-C-A, podcast, at gmail.com. It also would help if you find us and like us on Facebook. That's also facebook.com slash dodecapodcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play and give us a rating. That always helps. And Colin... What's the thing that helps new podcasts like ours more than anything else? Questions from the audience and vicious zelotical listeners. Absolutely. <laughs> Ask us a question, give us something to talk about, and uh, if you like what you hear, tell your friends, hey, these two assholes on the internet, they kind of know what they're talking about. They're fun to listen to. You should listen to them too. Well, we look forward to hearing anything that you have to say, and if you have any experience relating to anything that we're talking about, you think we're full of crap, or you think we've got something, please let us know. We'd be happy to read it on our podcast and to give a shout out to you. Although, it, for the future, this is Colin Lamothe and Jess Vetters uh, wishing you fun games and compelling stories. Oh, I like that. Bye-bye.